0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Design Recharge. I believe this is episode 211 and I'm really excited to have one of my teachers because she's my (laughs) Skillshare teacher on talking at part two for our sketchnoting series with Amaryllis Henderson. And I think sketchnoting is, um, this is the first time I've tried this in five years doing a part, a series, so every week it's kind of on the same uh, subject, the main subject, which is sketchnoting. And one of the things that a lot of people have, I've seen and heard is that people are really hard. And so one of the things when I was trying, or as I'm trying to be more of an illustrator, I um, was drawn to Amaryllis's, um watercolor classes. And then she had also a watercolor class that was for just faces. And I was like, this would be perfect. And so I asked uh, Ashley to... Um, or I reached out to you, and then I asked Ashley to set it up, and she set it up, and then you came on. So I was really, really excited. So I'm excited to have you. You're a great um, illustrator and watercolorist, and I'm happy that you're going to be teaching us some stuff today.
1: Thank you. That's a really warm welcome. I'm happy to be here, and faces uh, are fun to do, and they're not as scary as you might think if you just break it down a little bit, I promise.
0: But I think that's what what the – uh, really the big tip for me if what you told me is you kind of take, I mean, you didn't just tell me, you told anybody who's taken the class, but it, it is Especially breaking you. it. <laughs> it was just really for me. It did help me and gave me a lot of confidence, which um, is something we're going to be talking about it in as we co- keep going. But tell us a mm. little bit about your background and where your love for illustrating and watercolor began. Have you always been an illustrator from a little kid? Uh, I I
1: was. So my mom went to art school when I was four and five, and she'd come home with her projects, and I would sit alongside her, and she would work on her projects, and I would work on my very important projects as well, uh, which have very similar parameters. So uh, I've just, I've always drawn. I, I was that kid. I'm sure you can imagine this girl, maybe you know one in your life, that um, is always drawing, and it's kind of quiet, and you're thinking, can you get into anything else? (laughs) And uh, eventually, I got into theater in high school, but pretty much art has been my thing. Uh, Drawing, actually drawing portraits and drawing fashion figures and, you know, designing my own clothes and (laughs) things like that to now working in illustration.
0: So was your mom more of an illustrator, or like, did she do more watercolor, or was she a different kind of artist?
1: Yeah, she did advertising design. So graphic design and I uh, she'd create boards for um, mattress discounters which I think is long gone by now. But uh, I just I remember she would create ad campaigns and sometimes she'd have to draw them. But back in those days it was a lot of physical cut and paste.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Different world. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so then watercolor is kind of a hard medium, and I think that was one of the reasons that I was drawn to your Skillshare classes, because uh, there are lots of watercolor Skillshare people, but you actually break it down again and make it so that it's um, not so difficult, and I didn't feel like I was just making mud. Um, uh-huh. So, I loved that about it, and, and your illustrations are super beautiful, and I love it. So, did how old were you when you started watercolor?
1: I started watercoloring... That is a word, right? Yes. Yeah. Watercolor painting, in in high school, I I remember, um, and I talked about this in one of my classes. It's called watercolor story, and I indulge a little bit about my story. Uh, but it, I remember this painting I did where I actually discovered fluid watercolors. Up till then, I knew about the Prang you know, watercolor sets and things like that. Uh, But this is my first time using a professional grade, and I was just kind of mesmerized by how uh, it bled, and I made this this underwater theme. So I've always been kind of a type A overachiever, and uh, I was in (laughs) advanced placement art, and we have to pick uh, a concentration so that you have a portfolio, a dozen pieces that all have a similar theme. And... I kind of just went for what was really hard or what people thought was hard because I wanted to challenge myself. Uh, You kind of see that pattern throughout my career and it just makes me push myself into uncomfortable zones and then just have to swim. Um, But I did self-portraits in watercolor, Uh, me peeking behind things. That was my concentration.
0: (laughs) Wow. Wow
1: um but at first it was just self-portraits and watercolor and my art teacher was like let's make it a little more unique and so um i have a lot of paintings where i'm just kind of like behind uh, a leaf and like <laughs> I don't, right my mom has them somewhere i think maybe she doesn't uh <laughs> but that that's where i started doing it yeah watercolor so, itself
0: so did it just make sense from the beginning watercolor you know what I like about it is
1: that you don't have to blend as much. You know, when I work in in acrylic or something that uh, requires that sort of blending, I'm constantly thinking, should I be working light to dark or dark to light? And this is kind of in the middle, but this is where I'm at right now. So I want to go into that. And uh, I, I like that watercolor. I, I it does make sense to me in that there's only one way to go. Uh, you you do work from light to dark. And, and then as things bleed, maybe, maybe, you know, you're doing, uh, I'm actually doing a lot of portraits right now where, you know, maybe I want to make a crease of a mouth and that darkness is moving into the cheek and it really shouldn't, I have to pick it up right there and kind of stop it up and keep going. And it's pass or fail. Sounds really intense. It's not as scary as it sounds. Um, but the good part is that it usually works out. It usually looks a lot better than you think. It will. That's that's my impression of watercolor at least. So um, it, it does it does make sense to me. And the way that I got back into watercolor was oh how many years after college? I don't know, six, five or six years. I I got back into painting when I had my first son and I only had nap times to work with. So watercolor was something that I could start and finish and have something to show for. At mm-hmm. the end of two hours.
0: So then what did you study in school?
1: I studied illustration. Okay. Uh, I, I was sharing this yesterday at, at an after-school club with uh, some girls. They asked me to talk about what my career is like and and things like that and a lot of them didn't know that you could major in that. Mm-hmm. But yeah I was an illustration major. My husband was a an industrial product design major and so we um, We bounce off each other in those ways, but I always thought I'd work in, you know, whether it be digitally or, or ink. Mm. I don't know. I felt like watercolor wasn't really cool at that time and it's Mm. it's had a resurgence for sure. Uh, And I always fought it and then I finally embraced it.
0: (laughs) Yay. Well, you did, you helping a lot of people by embracing it for sure. Uh So um, how long do you think you've been working as a watercolor illustrator artist? So I guess that you said five or six years after. Yeah. I guess how old is your fir- your first child? Uh, I guess that would let us know. He'll be seven in July. So yeah, that, that's so, about right. So did you start at? So you were working as an illustrator, and then you just decided to take up watercolor more um, as your right. outlet because it was easier to get them done quickly. Yep, yeah, that's out right. Of necessity. I-
1: so the the timeline goes, I went to art school and I really just kind of dabbled in a lot of different mediums. Uh, I, I would use watercolor when I needed to be fast and just, you know, get it done. And and then uh, I I did a couple of books and, you know, some freelance work. And as it was time to get married, uh, my mom gave me advice that, you know, maybe you should look for stable work so that money isn't an issue between you guys. And it was kind of lame advice, but it was right. And <laughs> I, I worked in in uh, graphic design. So I worked as a graphic designer for three or four years. And, and then I kind of burnt out creatively. I just, I, I would be so critical at that, you know, blank page and, and worried that it wasn't going to be anything good. It wasn't going to be what I wanted it to be, mm-hmm. uh, that I, I didn't paint for a while. And it wasn't until I just absolutely had to when I was a new mom and felt like I kind of lost myself a bit that I just jumped right in and went with whatever came out.
0: So I think that that's a, a, I don't have kids, but I have friends who have kids. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a big thing. You kind of, so it's really important that you have this other thing that you're teaching. I think you're teaching your kids that everything doesn't revolve around them that you have these, you have a life too. And it's important. You know, I think those are important things, but I think a lot of people feel like that because everything mm. has to be about, you know, raising your kids. So I think that's very admirable, but it's not like you ever get a day off, you know?
1: <laughs> no, not even Sundays. Right.
0: <laughs> right, no. So, um, have you always had an entrepreneurial spirit? So if you'd worked as a designer and then you went, um, You kind of started when you had your first kid, were you just doing freelance as an illustrator? I I told myself
1: I wasn't going to show what I did. And actually, that helped me break a lot of those intimidation barriers. Mm. So I would just say, you know, no one's ever going to see this. This is just Mm. what I need to do right now. And as far as whether I had an entrepreneurial spirit, I kind of stumbled into it you know, I, I did start sharing some things. People started getting interested. It was very faith-based because it, I would kind of essentially combine my my quiet time, my time uh, in Christian devotion and, and just sink in what I read and paint. Um, and it resonated with some people and then they'd ask for prints. And I was like, okay, I'll just set up the setsy shop and sell out, you know, sell whatever it is that they asked for at the time. Uh, and, and then that just kept going on and on and I created a blog which is very dusty now but um, I guess I I always have you know when you asked if I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit I thought back to when I was about five or six too and it was a New Year's Eve party and all the grown-ups were having fun and it was super boring for kids like us so I was drawing and and then my mom's like hey maybe some of the people here would buy them. <laughs> uh, and I and I was I just jumped on it. I was like, okay, well, let's put some prices on these. And uh, my first, so my first drawings went for a uh, ten million oh, dollars. Of course, <laughs> we <laughs> we negotiated. Yeah, you my know, was like, maybe that's a little too high, and and we worked it out to yeah fifty cents, twenty five cents a piece. So it was maybe
0: your audience. They just didn't have, it wasn't the $10 million audience. Yeah. I I
1: hadn't created my million paintings yet to be good enough to charge that. So fine.
0: But so even in the early stages, working for yourself, wasn't super fearful. Did your mom end up working for herself? I have a theory about kids of entrepreneurs. Did my mom work for herself? Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: yes, yes, she did. She she worked uh, corporate design jobs for a few decades and then she started her own interior design.
0: So I have a theory that people who are entrepreneurs now, like you, maybe it doesn't take as much for you to take that risk because you mm-hmm. saw it and you it mm-hmm. worked out and you mm-hmm. so because even and we're gonna talk about this later with the surtech stuff, you were like, yeah, I guess I'll just try it. Like that would really be (laughs) fearful for a lot of people. And, and also starting an Etsy shop is actually Mm -hmm. pretty fearful for a lot of people. And then also doing a Skillshare, which all three are different kinds of entrepreneurial ventures um, Mm -hmm. that all three would cause some people to sweat buckets, you know, and you were like, oh, we'll just try it. See if people buy it. So, well,
1: I, I I sweat buckets, but I just kind of do it throughout the process and what it boils down to is, am I going to do it or not? Yes, I'm going to do it. Uh, we have a a son who's adopted and, and I never really was into adoption, but then it just started bugging me and Mm. I started thinking about it and talking about it. And, and I remember one time I was fighting with my husband. Uh, he wasn't really saying much. I was really just working out whatever I felt. And I was like, we can't not adopt. And he just looked at me like, okay. And I realized that I had to do it. So I, yeah, I, I do, I do sweat buckets and I am kind of sweating buckets, but, um, (laughs) you know, the time comes and you just kind of show up. Mm.
0: Yeah. So this is something I always ask everybody. Um, what would you tell your younger self to do differently if you could go back in time and then how far back would you go?
1: I would tell my younger self that it's not about being cool. I think that you know when you and I I don't even know when to tell myself this because I can think back pretty far right where especially with teaching on Skillshare or anything that's really public you you think oh am I good enough do I have something to share do I have uh, something valuable are people gonna think I'm cool or people are gonna think you know whatever I'm annoying and the truth is all of the above and then the, you know, the the people who, who jive with you will stick with you. Right. And I think I, I would just tell myself to embrace that. Even my my ads now for Sirtex are kind of awkward and clunky, and I'm just like, hey, it's me, because that's kind of how I feel, and I think authenticity is really a great
0: commodity right now. For sure. I love that. Love that about it. All right. So, You have some awesome illustration and watercolor classes on Skillshare, which I mentioned earlier. And that's where I found you because I was looking for both watercolor improvement and, um, faces because they scare me. And Mm -hmm. a lot of my friends do sketch noting and actually you do sketch noting too. We found out since. So you have this class called expressive little faces, which I'm going to share a link in, um, the chat in just a second, which I'll also read it out because, um, Anybody listening on iTunes will want to actually know what we're talking about. Mm. But, and I actually gained a lot of knowledge and actually more confidence in my faces after taking some, uh, some of your watercolor classes. Um, I know a lot of people struggle with th- just having a face. And so a lot mm-hmm. of times people are like just draw a blob or well, we'll just do the typography, no faces, no people, nothing. Mm-hmm. So did you ever struggle with faces? And then can you talk about how what you're teaching is different from portraits?
1: Yes, and that's why I wanted, yes, I have struggled, and that's why I wanted to teach faces versus portraiture. Uh, when I say faces, I think of just the the facial expressions, the, the facial features. So the round blob, whether it be long, a little triangular, oval, the eyes, the nose, the mouth, those kind of things. Those are the things that I'm focusing on. And, and as I break them each down, then I'm looking to make each one unique. So I have drawn and painted a lot of awkward-looking portraits. But the fun thing about a face, especially if it's not anyone in particular, you're just like, yeah, that's just like a funky-looking dude, and that's what he's supposed to look like. you know. And you're just having fun with it. And I've seen it a lot with uh, illustration, with pattern design, with uh, – say gift wrap or editorial illustration where you see like a lot of faces in a crowd, there's, they're very marketable. And so it's something that's really worth investing some time in and getting better at.
0: So, um, in the beginning, I mean, that's high school when you were doing your self portrait and those are, so what's Mm -hmm. really the difference between a portrait and then what you're doing or what somebody would be doing in sketch noting? Because again, it's about Mm. speed, right? Mm Mm-hmm mm-hmm with with a portrait you're you're really trying
1: to render and by render I mean that you are going from those gradients that are very light to dark and and I, I for example I talk about the nose in the faces class you know when I'm sketchnoting I didn't realize that was a word that's what I was doing all along uh, I I really just make the nose as simplified as possible and I call it you know the two dots in the parentheses, right? And 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 that's pretty much it, right? Now, if I were painting a portrait with a nose, then there would be a whole lot more shading. There would be a reflection of light underneath, and then a little more dark, and then there would be you know this roundness I've got a, I've got to show, especially with my nose. And so that's that's a lot to think about and a lot to digest. And honestly, when it comes to the nose. That is the thing that most people hate about their face. Mm -hmm. So you really don't want to muck it up. So I go, (laughs) (laughs) I go, you know, as, as light as possible. Like we're just going to show that it's there, but we don't really need to focus on it too much because if you go too dark with it, it's going to not look so good. So when you're sketch noting, really, I mean, whether you just do uh, a letter C on its belly, you know, or, or the parentheses and the dots, that's usually enough for a nose
0: it's just a hint of where it is instead of having to kind of take Mm -hmm. over and a lot of people it is the thing that they don't um maybe like (laughs) pardon they're so weird yeah they they are weird weird. they (laughs) are weird so somebody said over here in the chat they said live model sessions help um and and then Andre said, there's much harder things than faces. And then mm. Amy said, yeah, like bodies. Um, but they also said, uh, Ash said, perhaps there's a fear of faces because you want to respect the person imagined or real that you're drawing. And I actually think that could mm. be. Um, and next week, we're going to talk to somebody who has gone through that part of the fear as well, mm-hmm. because if you're sketchnoting noting. Somebody may that person might want to look at your sketches. Do you ever have that when you're doing sketch and then somebody's like, "Hey, I want to see that," and you're like, "Oh, yeah, yeah."
1: But it's usually not the person that I'm sketching because they're like way up in the front. So it's the person <laughs> right. next to me that I'm thinking they're probably thinking, "I don't know, is their mouth really that big, or whatever." <laughs> uh, but something that I'm I've dealt with is uh, uh, like I mentioned before, I'm working on some portraits. And therefore a TEDx conference. Uh, so last year, I did a portrait of each one of the speakers. And, and this year, I'm doing it again. Don't tell anybody because they're surprise gifts. <laughs> and, and so the hardest ones, there's one face out of the 10 this year that I have done three times. Uh, three portraits of this woman. And it's because it's a woman. And I think that, you know, women care mm. a whole lot more. And, you know, you might look at it and be like, do I really look like that? Um, so I, I've actually gone into doing much more funky colors where, uh, and I'll, I'll show these once, once they see them at the end of May, where there are some really odd colors used for certain things. And I'm sure you've you've seen something like that. So that it kind of detracts a little bit from how well depicted they are. But Mm -hmm. I understand that when you see, you know, president portraits or whatever in the white house, and we're still critical of those people that do amazing work. So my, my advice, I suppose would be um, don't, don't plan to show them because that will <laughs> keep you from doing it for sure. Right. And, and what I'll do is I'll do five or six on the same page. So while somebody's talking, you know, I'll try this three quarter that three quarter full on or whatever. And hopefully one of those is going to be about right and bring the rest of them kind of into context on right. my sketch page.
0: So i had a couple, or I think it's you say your name? I don't know. I hopefully I'm not mm-hmm. butchering it. Um, if you were weren't selling your art or teaching, what else you would do? Well, what else would you want to be? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So you're I'm doing kind of living your dream right now.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm living the dream, I guess. I <laughs> hadn't thought about like any other alternative. It's just kind of what I do. I remember, um, you know. Okay, so here's the thing: I paint for fun, for work, when I'm feeling something, when I'm going through something, when I'm, you know, in my watercolor Devo times. So uh, I'm painting a lot and my poor kids and my husband are just like, geez, enough with the painting. (laughs) And I tell them I just, I I would, I would have to do that even if I don't make money at it. This is, this is my thing. This is what I got to do. But if I could work in something else, not teaching or painting uh, let's say something happened to my hands.
0: I, guess. I do. I think <laughs> that would be that the only too. scenario. for yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> your uh, eyes.
0: Cool. Right? Yeah. Like I always think, they were like, oh, would you go deaf or blind? I'm like, I'd go deaf. Uh, because uh, I would hate to to miss out on so many things. visually.
1: Oh, oh that'd be so hard. Um, I, I don't have an answer for that. Sorry.
0: So, Ash says, Miss Watercolor <laughs> Devo, we need to get you into coaching. So that's what...
1: You guys are funny. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I had a live chat, but like, a couple weeks ago, and that was the the same the same feedback I got. And I have the same intimidation. Like, Hi, I'm your coach. I'm going to show you exactly how to live a better life. So, um, not really my shtick, but I definitely am happy to offer advice. So, I'm, I'm it's rolling around in my brain.
0: So, I also ask what. Were, were there ever times of self-doubt in building your business? And how did you get that through that time if you did?
1: Absolutely. Uh, I think that to keep yourself inspired and keep yourself current, especially as an illustrator, it's so, it's so trend driven. You have to be aware of what's trending. Mm-hmm. And that means you have to look at other people's stuff and you have to see what everybody's loving. Uh, there's always that temptation to to compare and feel like you're not good enough or feel intimidated Um, with becoming an entrepreneur I think for one having several uh, revenue streams of income Mm -hmm. is really important so not only just because it's financially a good idea uh, it might sound crazy to try to juggle several things but when one thing's going well and the other is not you have something that you can say, you know what, this is working out and I'm gonna feel good about myself and it's gonna feed into this other kind of weak area. And and another thing that I would advise, you really need support. Uh, I, I bragged about my husband a couple weeks ago. He's awesome. I'm gonna leave it at that because I already bragged on him. I've obviously talked about my mom who uh, I came from a creative family. It's really mostly just her and and her encouraging me uh, even my boys, you know, when they say, mommy can paint good. I'm just like, yeah, rock on. Thank you, guys. <laughs> so uh, I, I keep I keep a folder in my email of mm-hmm. nice emails um, because we we need those reminders. Uh, yeah, definitely. Self-doubt. Absolutely.
0: So somebody said, uh, Monica said, do you start your career selling your art? Is that what you would – because I, having mm-hmm. different revenue streams, that's probably – do you think that's a smart way to start?
1: I found that selling original paintings was difficult for me. They are higher price points, and mm-hmm. so there are less people who are willing to pay. And and then from those people, you really have to woo them and show them that um, you not only made a good painting, but that you have a body of work. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's a lot to put on yourself. So prints are great. I know that the tricky part with that is Finding a print vendor and making it uh, profitable because you're taking out a chunk there. Uh, in in the setting up shop class, I talk about that and how I went about it. I print in house. Uh, now I've gotten to the point where I let uh, a friend slash partner or assistant. We we're still working on her title. Work on those prints and and do that. And I found a good printer, but it it took. It took years, and I actually give their contact information in in that class if you're interested.
0: And I'm uh, going to – you can go to skillshare, well, Skillshare.com and and search for those things, but I am going to put them mm-hmm. in the show notes as well. So, so I, I, I do think that the prints are a good way to go. Uh, everybody
1: wants a piece of art. Uh, not everyone is ready to pay big bucks for it, and uh, – the good thing about selling things, kind of on the cheap, if you if you can do like someone's name, or you can do uh, Christmas ornaments or smaller projects that don't take you very long, uh, you you gain a following, and then while you're at that, you're getting better at your craft so that you can sell the next
0: next big thing. Right. I'm gonna actually share the screen of all of your ones on Skillshare because I think it'll just be easier. Um, Great. And then they'll know that there's tons of others. So Pam also has a question about what's Watercolor Devo? Is Devo devotions? What yes. is it?
1: Yeah. So uh, I would, like I said, I'd put our difficult to fall asleep baby down. And I'd close myself in another room and awkwardly wait to see if he'd stop crying. And if not, I'd go back in. But then, when I'd finally walk out of that room, I'd tell my husband and he'd be like, "Oh, what did you do? did you read did you what were you doing in there And I'd say, "Oh, I did a watercolor devo." so that was just kind of a, a term that I came up with for um, my when I say devotion that's such a big word <laughs> yeah uh, it's, a, it's a heavy word and it should be so um, I just would say watercolor devo because it's a it's a watercolor I did quickly and you know, for example, if I was think if I had read a passage about heaven or eternity, I one time I wrote forever and ever. I don't know how many times overlapping each other, and and that's just how I kind of sunk in what I was trying to to wrap my mind
0: around. Cool, that's a great way to kind of really resonate on the word, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, getting a lot of questions over in the the question bar. So you can't keep um, up. All I know. so Alma asks, how do you photograph your work? Do you have large pieces over 18 by 24 ever?
1: I typically work on paper and so I if at all possible, I will scan those puppies. So the largest piece that I have scanned was three feet by four feet and but I did my my scanner bed is eight and a half by eleven. <laughs> So that was 26 scans. Wow. It was it was kind of miserable, and then matching it up all in Photoshop took forever. But I so prefer it over a photograph. I, uh, I had a photographer friend actually photographed some paintings for me recently that are on aqua board, which is wood, really heavy stuff. Can't possibly put it on a scanner bed. So she photographed it for me. And she even noticed like it's really hard to get those light bleeds mm-hmm. and and we got most of the details that we wanted and then um, there's just something to actually seeing it in person. So I, we traded services and I'm doing art for pictures uh, for that. So you, sh- you might want to try that with any photographer friends, but they'll tell you that it it's, it is hard. And uh, the, the key though, if you need to photograph an image, uh, Painting is that it be completely flat. So when I photographed my own, I find it difficult to be completely flat perpendicular to the piece and uh, Photographers have you know tripods and things for that, but you can also photograph with a piece of glass somehow between you so that that is level and you have your camera on there and That way when you photograph a square, it's gonna look like a square in your image,
0: right? all right, so um, and he uh, Daniel just said, "Have you ever used a printer's boom camera?"
1: I've I've not, I've not. That's
0: okay. All. So, um, Andre asked Amaryllis, "Have you ever tried live drawing, or like for sketch noting, um, sketching live events such as conferences?"
1: Yes, I've I've done live painting since I feel actually more com- comfortable with painting. It was another thing that, you know, someone asked me to do and I said, sure. And then I swept my buckets before the event, but I went on and I did it and people are easily impressed, I think, just because of the, the confidence, mm. I was going to say another word, the confidence that it takes to, to do that and and mm. they respect that. So, so, yeah, I have done that. I haven't done live portraiture. Uh, actually, yes. I have, but it was, I don't know, it, maybe, let's call it a face. So uh, I, I have done that and uh, it's nerve wracking and people are coming to talk to you. I remember at one event people, you know, there were drinks and I was just kind of like in a corner and if you're bored or didn't want to talk to people and you could come watch me paint. It was fun. Um, is it my best painting? For sure not. Right. I, I don't know where it is now, but um, that's okay.
0: Do you feel like doing sketchnoting has helped some of those kinds of things mm-hmm. where you're doing kind of like on the spot live things? Because when, you, mm-hmm. when you're sketchnoting, you're also working from live models, right? Mm-hmm. In in the, at real time.
1: Yeah. And not only that, you've got someone looking over your shoulder. So you get used to that, that feeling. It's like you're aware of them, but you're not going to let the assumptions of whatever they're thinking interfere with what you're doing with your hands.
0: Right. Yeah. So let's talk about sketchnoting a little sure. bit. So for any tips for beginners and anything you can share, I think Ash is like, share some of your stuff on your walls or something that you're working on. <laughs> um, as people are beginning to sketch note and preparing to draw the face, what are some things that they should do?
1: I always start with the face if I'm going to do it because then if it doesn't work out, I can flip the page and I won't be angry that, you know, I really liked how I wrote this and now it's next to this ugly face that I don't want to (laughs) keep. So that would be, that would be one tip. I don't typically work in pencil first. I will usually go straight to paint. And the reason that I do that is uh, it, it kind of creates this culture I guess Mm -hmm. in me and how I uh, approach the the page because I'm just, I'm committing to it I'm going right. for it um, so that that would be one tip uh, another is to start very light again as you go darker then it starts you know you start warming up and then you go darker and those are the strokes that really matter and accessories are kind of a big deal to me uh, when you can add a little personal flair, it makes a big difference because then you know, what people remember of a certain person is that those lips or those glasses or uh, that hat or whatever it is that makes them so very much them. So I'm, I'm looking in my sketchbooks um, and I believe this was posted as, mm-hmm. as one of the social media prompts. And at first glance, you wouldn't think that this is a faces piece, but uh, it is. They are little paintings of Ah, uh, presidents on dollar bills, and with them, what I found was very—I don't know—very much their trademark is that that hair. Probably because we don't have those hairstyles anymore, so it really sticks out. And and so when I was doing the face, I was a little bit like, you know, I'm not—I'm not sure. I didn't do Ben Franklin any any favors. He looks kind of kind of <laughs> angry and mean. But but then when I got to the That that wavy, that's well that straight quaff that he has. Then it felt more like him, Uh, and yeah, the the same with with me. Uh, I've I painted myself for you know like little website snippets or whatever promos, and. It's just kind of like well I I just put the dark curly hair in the glasses and it's it's pretty much you know
0: (laughs) but you also you also talk about face shape so if um, one of the things like that's kind of where you started with in the Skillshare classes you Mm -hmm. one of the things that I loved is that you got um, gender down you got age down you got race down and then uh, expression because Mm -hmm. I actually feel like some of those things are like expressions really important especially if you're doing a speaker you're doing you know, Mm -hmm. if you're sketchnoting your pastor or sketchnoting a TED talk or whatever, Mm -hmm. expression's important. But you also, um, there was one thing that you taught that it was, don't put all the details in. You can do some of that later. So keep it Mm -hmm. simple. And I think that was like revolutionary for me. And I think for a lot of people, because we feel like we're going to make a mistake Mm -hmm. right in the beginning. So Mm -hmm. what would you say if you're dealing with those things, gender, age, um, expression, race, all those things, what, what are some, and face shape, what would you tell us?
1: You know, it's funny when, when I first get the idea to create a Skillshare class on a certain topic, I think, well, that's pretty straightforward. I mean, you know, you just kind of do this and that, but then when I start to break it down, I realize there's a ton of options that you can take. And so, we, I believe in the class, we start with uh, proportions and I talk about, you know, where exactly those eyes go and where does that mouth go and, and you see it coming together. Then we stop and we take each facial feature one by one, the eyes, and we did different kinds of eyes, mm-hmm. the nose, different kinds of noses, which was a little tricky, um, especially with as simplified as I talk about it being. And then we do uh, lips, It's a helicopter. <laughs> then we do lips, and, and they're, some are thinner, some are longer, mm-hmm. some wider, different expressions, and with hair the same way. And so I think when you, when you break it down, you realize, okay, now I'm working on this. Sheesh, this could go 10 different ways. And now I'm working on this, and this could go 10 different ways. And so when you're looking at a face and you're worried about making that person look like that, realize that that is a very unique face, and it's, it's, that's not a scary thing. That's a good thing. You just need to take a moment to really look at them like, what is it that's really mm-hmm. sticking out to me?
0: I love that. So think about what it is that stands out and then focus on that and then build build off of that part, I guess. hmm So do you, do you suggest practicing before you go to a a TED talk or before you do a, you're just want to watch a TED talk and do it, or before you go to church and start sketchnoting, do you Mm -hmm. suggest maybe practicing with still images or what, what Mm. some other kind of, um, I think that might not be a good thing because then you're trying to get all the details. So Mm -hmm. maybe actually moving images like a video where you can't. I mean, I guess you could pause, but if it's live TV, you're just trying to sketch somebody. I mean, are there mm-hmm. any tips you could give us for yeah. so that we would be better?
1: When I'm working from a reference, uh, if I'm doing uh, a celebrity, I don't look at just one picture. I want five pictures, and it's funny when you look at those five pictures, you think, "Wow, Martin Luther King looked mm-hmm. really different in different angles, and you know, black and white versus." you know, full color or in this decade or that. And so it's, it it opens your mind and you pick your favorite, but you're kind of soaking in what, what some of those uh, common traits are. Again, you're you're really looking Mm. for those common traits. And then, and then you, you go off one reference, then put away the other references, because then you're going to be trying to tackle too much. I think that's what's difficult about a live portrait or a live face drawing is, you're looking at a face and it's constantly moving. They're constantly talking and how, how will you ever, you know, make them look right. Uh, right. And, and you have to just kind of like, you know, I, so many times I'll start drawing someone that's speaking and I'm seeing them at a three quarter and then they start walking in the other direction. Cause they feel like they've been neglecting this side of the audience and thinking, ah, oh, that's not what I was going to do. Uh, but I, I just have to, again, remember what it is that, that makes them unique. So I, I really like, uh, I actually do faces just for fun. Mm -hmm. And, uh, this was an Instagram post, um, during, uh, right after uh, the shooting in Minneapolis. And I wanted to just show diversity, different people and how we're all sad. You know, I think it became a black, white issue. And I think that it's just sad for everybody. And, and that's what I was going for. So I made a yellow face and I was thinking, that's weird. Who the heck is yellow? But once you put it into context with other colors, then it's like, Oh, okay, sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yellow face. So creating kind of, kind of ruining your page a little bit, you know, doing something gutsy that you think is not going to go over well is a great move because it it frees you up. It it Mm -hmm. cuts away that perfectionist in you. Um, These are a couple more little sketches that I've done of myself and honestly you look at him you look at me like there's there's not a ton of similarity there but when you just see this it's like oh okay yeah i kind of i kind of know who that is
0: so don't be don't be so hard on yourself and i guess uh, it's okay to fail right just be okay yeah. with practicing and you don't have to share everything but it's not all golden everything you're that's going to come out isn't isn't going to be just amazing every time
1: yes this is a little crude, but I tell myself, I don't poop rainbows. So I, I <laughs> sometimes, I, you know, I take on a project and I'm like, yeah, I could do that. And then I struggle with it. And then I think, I thought I was better than this. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, magic doesn't, you know, come on command. And, and, and you, we think of great artists, but really you can only think of like three of their paintings because those were the best. But you're not looking at all the backstory. So yeah, go so, easy on yourself
0: on ask you definitely have a unique style how long did it take before that developed and do you consciously make it evolve
1: I I I do make it evolve you know style is such a funny animal because it's something that you should tone perfect tweak make your own and then you feel like all I do is this Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then and and you don't want to get pegged either if you are an illustrator, you want to have your own style, but you don't want to um, be pigeonholed into a certain part of the industry because you want to be marketable in a lot of different industries. I like the way Lauren McLohan, uh phrases style. So she likes to call it flavor. Mm-hmm. She felt like that was a lot less intimidating and a better depiction. So she likes to say, you know, what's your flavor? It's something... You know that you don't have to commit to. It's just kind of what you bring to the table. So I, I do, I do kind of tweak my my style, and then I, I look back and I see it's just kind of it's kind of still me. It's it's still me. Um, so ways to focus on your style and to develop whatever flavor it is that you you bring. I think the first thing is to embrace whatever that is. Mm-hmm. I think we spend a lot of time trying to be so and so. And if you just look at what you do and say, this this is what I do and and, and I'm proud of it, that, that does a lot. Taking, taking little risks. It's like color schemes. You just change just a little bit. You pivot just a little bit. So, you know, the next time I painted myself, I painted myself with purple hair. Let's try that. Or how about um, this time I'm going to elongate just a little bit, and, you know, try to go with like a Mondrian kind of look. Not mm-hmm. Modigliani. I'm getting my artist mixed up. <laughs> um, okay. I don't know if that
0: helps. Um. I think that helps. Hopefully. Um, so Andre says for some illustrators like Kyle T Webster, not having a style is their style. He even wrote an article about that. Yeah, he's mm. definitely good at. But it's but even in the industry, we talked about this. Like if you want to have a long career, you do have to evolve, and there it's about mm-hmm. trying different things and being explorative in in what you're doing i think your three wise men um, image is different than some of your other imagery and so i think it's good to mm-hmm. I don't, it's good to just try different different things have a it is important uh, Andre says to have a, a strong personal voice but i do think that evolves um, in time so one of the things we talked about the other day was that you find drawing faces in particular really relaxing, which I mm-hmm. think some people are probably sweating buckets thinking about it, <laughs> but maybe because you do it so much, that's it. you know that they're not all perfect and that it's okay. And so then that makes it so that when you do, do it for a client or for yourself or for a, a series that you're doing, it makes it a little bit easier because you've already made some... Um, you tried things you've explored
1: uh I'll tell you why I find it relaxing you 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 get kind of the structure down and then from there it's just choices you feel like a kid again where you're like oh what color eyes do I want to make this one and this one is gonna have a sombrero on let's do that and and it, it makes you um I don't know it it makes you be more creative what Going along with the style chat, you know, I think that as a creative, we are curious people, and we're looking at a face and we're trying to think, what does that what what is it that makes that person look so unique, look so different and 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 capitalizing on that. So that's why I find them relaxing. These I did uh, on Easter, sitting at my in-law's back patio. So that's basically how it goes. Everybody plays some sort of sport and hangs out together and mom's sitting. And <laughs> uh, Again, I've just kind of like embraced this is me. Sorry, guys. Go play with dad. Um, and, and they started out as blobs. But mm. again, we're going from uh, light to dark and loose to tight. And mm. as you get to those tighter strokes, then you're like, Ooh, this is really coming together. This is really becoming something.
0: That's a good, good way to think. Good tip. Start light to dark and then loose to tight. Mm -hmm. So um, I want to get to Monica's question. She said, and this is kind of going back to what we kind of had talked about a little bit earlier. Um, Well, yeah, well, we'll, we'll just do it now. Um, Is it necessary to know another skills besides drawing and painting like marketing or social media to build a business like this?
1: Is it possible to is it
0: is it um, I guess is it is it necessary to know necessary. another skill or is it important I guess
1: it is absolutely important. If you are if you're going to be a creator, all you need to do is create. If you're going to be an entrepreneur, you have to kind of be everything. Uh, and not to say that you need to work your tail off and you know work crazy hours. I think that that's that's kind of a fable. We need to learn to delegate and create systems and you get into entrepreneurial circles online or blogs or whatever, and you'll find a a lot of um, suggestions with that. But, but yeah, definitely. Because um, what we want is more eyeballs on our work, as scary as that sounds, because the more eyeballs that get to see what you do, then there's going to be a percentage of those people that are going to be your tribe, your people, and are really going to appreciate what you do. And, and uh, I'm reading right now, Show Your Work, you know, mm-hmm. that bright yellow cover. Mm-hmm. And it's a follow-up to Steal Like an Artist. And, and what I like about that is that it's, it's acknowledging, Austin's acknowledging that none of us live on an island. Even when you think of painters that you look up to, Picasso wasn't the only Cubist, <laughs> you know? Uh, he had contemporaries. And uh, Van Gogh wasn't the only Impressionist he had contemporaries and and think now you, you have other artists that you look up to and sometimes you might feel like we're starting to look kind of like each other's work, but there's, it's just kind of part of it. We are all influencing each other. And I think that that is honestly the best, the greatest benefit of having a following, so to speak, because you, you share ideas without even knowing it half the time.
0: And I think it's about consistency. So, Um, Monica, just be consistent putting out stuff. And and I think as you start a style or you start, you'll kind of figure out what you enjoy the most. So Andre said, have you ever thought about creating a book or a zine with all your face drawings? I think that'd be an awesome Kickstarter. I would totally buy that book.
1: (laughs) I don't know if I have enough already. How many do I need? I don't know. I well, think, I'm huge.
0: <laughs> no, I think you maybe, um, but I think you have a lot. <laughs> so one of the things I wanted to make sure we cover, we have 10 minutes left. Um, okay. adding color can be tricky, mm. but it's also really impactful. And you definitely talk about this in a lot of your classes. Mm-hmm. So what would you suggest? Uh, and, um, my, uh, somebody Pam wants to know how big's the watercolor kit you travel with. Can you fit it in your purse? And I think that's really important for, especially for sketch noting, because mm-hmm. if you're, if you're drawing and you only have a few colors, mm-hmm. you know, how can you use color to be if, cause you wouldn't be traveling with your dropper, the fluid ones, right. right?
1: Right. And honestly, that's not what I use most of the time. Cause it's just not that convenient. Uh, but I use pan watercolors. Uh, I don't have them within arm's reach. I do, I do sell a travel kit that includes this notebook. Uh, you saw me show this other one, which I'm using lately. I don't love it as much. Uh, If you're taking notes, this is 60-pound paper, so it's good for drawing and very light watercoloring, but you will probably stress out uh, Mm. that it won't turn out, uh, that it'll go through the paper, uh, because it's just just thick enough. But if you Mm. really want more freedom, this one is 140-pound, and it's a, I believe it's a Strathmore.
0: Have Uh, you ever heard of peerless watercolor where they're flat? And you just dip them with a water brush. Is that different from pan watercolors? Yeah, because pans are in like a little cake form, right? Mm -hmm. So these are like paper thin. Oh. So they're really good for travel. Um, Anyway, I'll try to share a link in the show notes. But I'll have to send you a video of this lady using it that turned me on. It's called P-E-E-R-L-E-S-S. And you can get them and they just come in a big... um, a big sheet and you can cut them down and make these smaller travel journals. Oh, wow. Fun. Uh, I, I do, did try Yuko paper. Mm-hmm. Didn't love it.
1: It was like painting on uh, plastic. It was like painting on plastic and that's, that's what they told you. It was like, but some people think it's amazing, but uh, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I have an, a monthly art <laughs> supply run, but um, we're, uh, <laughs> I'm kind of addicted. We're talking about <laughs> color. Here's one that's like super colorful. Uh, and color is such a huge thing. It's emotive, and so people are—you know—they really resound with it. As you know, in contrast to say this lady, this lady's very muted, and even though she has a lot more expression, uh, I had to help her out in Photoshop to be a little more
0: colorful. So sometimes, uh, if with expression, you could use it with color instead of actually physically right. making their mouth bigger for expression.
1: Yeah, you're right. You're right. With with this painting, you know, it's it's kind of a a chill look on her face. She's looking down, winds in her hair. But that bright pink that I used for her hair makes her feel more alive. And it's it's a juxtaposition where they're just boring, but kind of go together. Uh, so when it comes to color, you know, skin tones are kind of can be kind of boring if you're not into earth tones and browns. Uh, that's kind of why I like doing girls because then you can make them up right Uh, you can (laughs) you can add some eyeshadow some lipstick or whatever Uh, but I'll often I'll often use let's say uh, warm colors so like red orange yellow pink to brighten up those those skin tones maybe on the cheeks on the chin on the nose I've seen some artists do some beautiful work uh, where they always make the nose just a little redder. It's so adorable when it's for children, especially. And for then for the darker tones, let's say in the hair, as I say in the Skillshare class, I never use just one color for the hair. I always alternate colors because no one's hair is one color right. as opposed to you know what my kids tell me. They have <laughs> lots of colors in their hair. Everyone does, even black-haired people. Right. Uh, keep doing air quotes. I don't really love air quotes. Um, <laughs> and and so adding a little purple or a little blue uh, into the hair, if you really want to be daring, uh, is fun. And you know where I got that? I got that tip from Archie Comics. If you think of Veronica's hair, it's black, jet black. And then there's always something that looks like a lightning bolt where it's shiny and mm-hmm. that's blue. And uh, Archie is one of the... One of the things I used to copy as a kid. And I yeah.
0: Thought, wow, that's weird. Cool.
1: Yeah. Now it I was. Do.
0: That's true, though. But they always had that blue, like a royal blue uh-huh. streak. It was beautiful. hmm So Doc said is, is the, and I don't remember exactly what we were talking about at this point, but is that due to the color or the expression in the life work and brush strokes? So the one that you held up with the Mm -hmm. lady with the pink hair yeah um or i guess is it a combo of color and line qualities because that does have a lot of expressive line qualities also yep
1: you're right you're right um and and you want it's funny it's it's a it's like a dance you know painting is like a dance you want things to kind of go together and yet you want things to be a bit jarring and throw you off and kind of then you need something else to bring it back in so i do think that those brush strokes um are dynamic too I started out with these yellow ones that are just random just to break in the paper. And that's another tip that I give in my classes that you're afraid of starting just like splatter something at it. Do some dabs that have nothing to do with anything and then you've ruined it. You might as well make it
0: better. So that's something you could do at home before you go to um, if you're going to a conference or something, you could just dab a whole bunch of stuff on pages to get them started and then start the sketchnoting kind of on top of that. Absolutely. Um, when, uh,
1: that, that's, um, like uh, start with a shape last year, this time I was doing the hundred day project and that's what I did. I, I started my journals with a circle and then I'd go somewhere and I just have to figure out what I was going to make that circle that day. And some days it was an orange and some days it was an elephant. So that's a, it's a great challenge, but here's another one with very bright colors, but a subdued mood, uh, and the way i got these watery streaks was just by turning it upside down and letting it dry like that. Oh, cool. That's so, awesome. I don't know how to hang this. It's it's me so i'm not going to hang
0: it. <laughs> so, and, and on ask again um another question. She's got great questions. Did you have a mentor when you first started your own creative business and what was the advice they gave you that really resonated? Or was your mom kind of your mentor?
1: I don't think I had a mentor. I wish I had. <laughs> now, but you know, um, something that I, I do do is I, I'll follow people online that, uh, not just artists, but just people who are successful and just kind of want to soak in mm-hmm. some of that brilliance. And you grow out of them. So, and that's a great, wonderful thing. You kind of, you're like, okay, I kind of, kind of sick of this guy. You know, I used to love listening to him and now I'm kind of sick of him. And that's okay. And I, I expect people to do the same thing with me. Uh, that you you learn what you can from somebody and then you you grow not that you know they're for the rookies and you're moving on to bigger fish but that you're exploring different different things uh, my my mom is uh, a mentor and and I have friends who who know me you know we are all very passionate as creatives and if we are not making anything any money at it they're you know we're okay but they're like okay wait a minute So how much are you actually, you know, cutting out of this for your time or for your talent? And and so I I do have some
0: friends about me for that. That's good. So um, we have two minutes and we have lots of questions. So unfortunately, we're not going to be able to answer all of them. But I want to give people some resources. Um, Michelle asked, do you prefer inks, watercolors or watercolors to paint um, or do you ever combine them?
1: Usually, all watercolors. Lately, I'm getting into inks for the darkest darks.
0: Next, gotcha. so I'm going to actually share the supplies from your modern watercolor florals three ways, mm-hmm. and the, it has the Skillshare link as well, and then a bunch of the brushes and other stuff. And I'm also sharing your website, which is watercolordevo.com, mm. and that's all that stuff's going to go in the chat. So you guys just got. Inundated with a ton of links, and thanks to Daniel for doing that one. And then Daniel asked another question about how to make prints, and he said oh, out of your digital art. So I think that's where people start a lot of times is making a print of making the digital art, and then you scan it in and you you sell the maybe on Etsy or somewhere like that. So what would you recommend in finding a good printer or an outside vendor or an inside? I mean, because you don't want to, that's a ton of money to buy a printer. Mhm.
1: The printer that I have is about $200. Oh, it's a Canon Pixma. And it uh it's a one of those all-in-ones and if you set it to very fine quality printing, it does great work. The paper I buy, I'm sure I've spent 10 times more on the paper than I ever did on the printer. Uh that's where I focus the funds. So, um I have links to those two in the Setting Up Shop class. And when it comes to finding a printer, it's really awkward doing a lot of phone calls. Printers are super busy people, so they'll prefer either a quick email with your specifications. I want to do this, and this is the quality I want. And, and and they'll quote it up for you very quickly, and then you can move on and, and choose Uh, whatever you want but that's not something that you can do so much online with digital printers it's better to to do it in person so that you can see what you're buying into
0: yeah and you can talk about fade quality things like that and those are also things that you could tell your purchaser but again if they're spending fourteen dollars or forty five dollars they're not expecting that for this to last hundreds Mm -hmm. and thousands of years usually um, because it is a print right? right right so I can't get to all the questions. I'm just going to have to have you back on when we're not doing a specific <laughs> um, thing, but because I still have some stuff. But one of the things that I was really impressed at is that you're also doing something new, which is you're going to be showing your work at SurTech, which is yes. uh, Illustrator. Kind of tell us what you're doing and, and how you're, um, how you're I, doing it different and how stepping out because you are fearless. (laughs) I was
1: explaining surtex to a 14-year-old, and I basically called it like a farmer's market, except everybody's selling their art digitally. Uh, So you show what you can do, and then people buy your art so that they can put it on stuff, be it plates or greeting cards or gift wrap, things like that. So that's what you call surface pattern design or surface design. Uh, I've been wanting to go to Surtex and uh, and yet yeah, I've also I've also tried to avoid it because it's a lot of money to invest in being at one of those shows uh, but what I did was I scheduled this trip to go husband and I are gonna go and check out New York and we love going to New York and just make a little vacation of it and I'd walk the show well I went out to dinner with some friends and uh, the husband asked me just one probing question three times so what are you gonna do at the show and (laughs) I was like I'm gonna walk it Uh, you know I'll I'll walk it no I'll I'll see you know what people are doing and and then he asked me again and I was feeling like I had nothing to stand on and I realized you know I I preach that I learned by doing so fine let's just do it and I'm actually gonna arrive too late to set up I got some friends to help me set up and I thought you know what if all these things fall into place it's meant to be I'm gonna go for it and that's what I'm doing it's at the end of May May 20th at the Javits Center and I'm really excited it's it's gonna be a tiny booth but it's perfect for the amount of time
0: that we have and what I'm there to do and you've kind of created these books and I think you did them on blurb or something right and then so there are these big maybe 12 by 12 books and um they she has a ton of different illustrations and she's using white space really well she's using it's not just filling it filling it filling it but she's really used her white space super super good so i'm going to
1: display them standing up uh so that's why it's this way but then as you flip and i'm really just going to flip through this super fast uh but you, you you see the work. It's not all of my work. It's uh, some of the better parts or some of the more marketable pieces. And it's basically a glorified photo book. Yes, it's 12 by 12. And um, some buying happens in person and some buying happens at follow-up. And so you want to be able to say, hey, I have this. You're looking for an animal. I got a zebra. I got a giraffe. I got a bush baby. What do you want? And, and then
0: you also talked about how in the YouTube, so you guys should, uh, I will link that up in the Um, Yeah, a lot of links. It's okay. It'll be lots of stuff for people to do, for people to get to, because it's really valuable. And I appreciate your time for sure. Oh, Daniel says this book for sale on Blurb. No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but she's using these as tools to go and sell her work. So, but she has a whole book just on Christmas, right? Right, right. It is a brilliant idea, Doc says. (laughs) Man, you guys give me so much to think about. Uh, <laughs> I just, I
1: never got to do that. But yeah, that'd be a great way to have like a ton of prints in one shot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure.
0: But you're, but you're, but you, really you're licensing your stuff. And so that's been a whole another part of the business. And maybe that's what we can bring you back on and talk to you about sure. after Sirtex. I'd love to have you back on to, to talk about that stuff, but just so you know, this is part two of a four part series on sketch noting. So this will be continued next Wednesday. Normally the show's on Wednesday at two thirty 30 um, Eastern 1, 1130 Pacific and um, it's every Wednesday Uh, Sometimes it's Wednesday and Friday when uh, I need to get people to fit people's schedules, because I want to definitely fit people's schedules. Sometimes it's at night and on the weekends, just depends. Um, But next week is Johnny Gwynn, who really went from uh, not being able to feel like confident in his drawing at all, to we see the, and he's been doing it, for a few years now and he's done weekly practice and now he does, he practices in every meeting, everything. So Johnny, yeah. So come back next week and we will talk to him. And then the last week is Emily Carlton, who also is actually doing this professionally sketch noting at conferences and stuff like that. It's kind of like what Amarillis is doing for the Ted talk um, getting, you know, you're that's a job you're doing that and uh, Mm -hmm. getting paid for that so this is at the um she's taking the sketchnoting thing and doing a whole another uh, ballgame so we kind of get to see the progression of somebody so if you're fearful of being a sketchnoter um then you can maybe try and get some inspiration next week from johnny so if you want to sign up if you got here from another link um you can always sign up at rechargingyou.com And you can get a link every week. You'll get an email and you'll get to see what questions I'm going to ask. And like Daniel had questions and he sent them to me. And I actually think there was one that I didn't ask. So I want to make sure I ask it because if you send them early, I make sure. Um, Have you done different types of portraiture, like larger scale? So you showed some larger pictures today, but have you done any larger pieces? What's the
1: biggest face? I've done. In college, I did uh, a three foot by four foot of my grandfather. That was fun. It was a Chuck Close style, so a lot of dots. Oh, uh, cool. But I, I usually don't go that large. Maybe a nine by 12 is my sweet spot or 11 by 14 at the biggest.
0: Cool. Well, because do you do that because of your scanner size? Yeah, it just facilitates
1: that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and And when it gets too big, then I start overthinking. Mm. which is definitely something that I've said I don't want to do. Right.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm sorry I didn't get to everybody's questions, but we'll have her back on and we'll get this on. I really appreciate you guys coming out. And if you want to connect with me, you can, and I did share Amaryllis's as as well, and I'm going to talk about that because I want to make sure that um, we are typing that in and putting it, it will be in the show notes, of course, but it's um, watercolordevo.com and watercolordevo.etsy.com, and then skillshare.com slash r slash amaryllis with one l, and a-m-a-r-i-l-y-s, and then on Instagram, it's watercolordevo, and so make sure you follow her, Um, and Andre says you could get an 11 by 17 scanner. (laughs) I
1: Yeah, next steps for sure. (laughs) I'm annoyed with scanning twice for one piece. For sure.
0: Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It was great talking to you you. and thanks for sharing with everybody all your much knowledge.
1: That was fun. Thank you guys for asking great questions. That stumped me at times. That's, (laughs) that's a good sign. I have a good crowd.
0: You did good on your, um, from high school, the, (laughs) the debate team stuff. Yeah.
1: I used to be really into interview questions in high school and, If you ask me on Instagram, then I'll type it all out. I'll tell you the story later.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you again so much. You were terrific. And thank you guys for all coming.